Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 62. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. And I'm Rob Bernacki. He's back, guys, by popular demand. Actually, nobody demanded it, but we're, we're still glad you're here. <laughs> Should, I'm gl- glad to be here, too. Do we need to introduce you again, or are you... I mean, if you want to. Sure, I, I would love to. So, um, Rob Bernacki is Matt's instructor. Um, Rob, his backstory, as far as I know, and I'll, I'll tell the lore as best I can, uh, Rob was born weakly and sickly, unable to do a push-up, <laughs> could not run up the stairs, fainted and, at the sight of blood. And then I invented leverage. Yeah, yeah. He, he basically started jujitsu, but due to being such a weak little bitch, he <laughs> couldn't do it. Um, so he invented a new variant of jujitsu based on alignment, which is, in, I mean, jujitsu was already intended for the weaker man but even inside that bucket if you're like the weakest of the weak mm-hmm. then leverage is for you and so of course Matt and I uh, the Quan family we have learned these techniques from the master and we pass <laughs> them down to our listeners and for the low low price of $150 a month we would gladly distribute this knowledge to you as long as you don't share it with outsiders yeah yeah I guess that kind of relates to the topic of this episode somewhat do we want to actually introduce who you, you really are or do we just want to go with that narrative I think they know who Rob is. I think they know who Rob is. If you don't Google him, it will be a valuable learning experience for you. So today we want to talk about cults. I love this topic. Uh, It is a a fascinating topic of discussion, and it is something that is very intimately related with martial arts. Like, let's be real, martial arts and cults have a very long and storied history together. Um, As long as people have wanted to learn how to fight, they've found ways to take these this knowledge and form cults out of it, create uh, leadership structures, and a lot of the time, these are created for the benefit of the master. Uh, The reason we're bringing this up is because even in a new age martial art like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you still do see this. Uh, You still do see a lot of cultiness within these martial arts sects. Now, the thing about cults, when people talk about cults, usually they're thinking about things like Heaven's Gate or Jonestown or something like that. And Scientology. Scientology. And we've kind of been conditioned to think that like a cult is going to consume your life and take all of your money and then make you kill yourself. Like that is a cult dialed up to 10 out of 10. The reality is that a cult is that can actually be a lot more mild and a lot more subtle than that. So people don't like to be told that, Hey, you're part of buddy, you're part of a cult because that makes you think I'm, are you calling me a Scientologist? But you can be part of a cult without being invested to that degree. The definition of a cult really is just a group that exercises undue influence over its members. 
So Wikipedia says, in modern English, a cult is a social group that is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, or by its common interest in a particular personality or goal, object or goal. The sense, of the, the, uh, the sense of the term is controversial, and it has divergent definitions both in popular culture and academia, and it has also been an ongoing source of contention among scholars across several fields of study. It is usually considered pejorative. Usually. Usually. I, I <laughs> yeah. found that pretty funny. So the main takeaway here is that a cult does not have to be some massive Illuminati organization that sucks you in and takes all of your money and never lets you leave. It can just be any organization that you work with in your day-to-day -day life that is exerting more influence over you than they have a right to do. I mean, a lot of businesses, a lot of companies jobs that you might have. You could be working for a company that employs cult tactics. And to that point, not all of these organizations are necessarily inherently bad. I mean, a lot of groups that are culty ultimately do good work. But the problem is that they are using techniques that basically require you to turn your brain off to some degree. And even if they're doing good work right now, that doesn't mean that the next leader who takes over is going to share those morals. And if you're not using your brain to critically think about what you're being asked to do, it can become very dangerous very quickly, and it can be hard for you to disentangle yourself. I mean, I'm sure that Matt, especially, who is a, really a student of history, can think of some great examples of situations where maybe uh, a cultish organization didn't start out that bad, but they got real bad as soon as there was a change in power. I mean, are we talking about... <laughs> you, tell me, you tell me what you think you're, we're talking about. I here. mean, if I, I, I'm, I'm not a history expert, but it sounds to me like you're describing NASA. NASA? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Uh, no, but I, I mean, if you look at like a lot of organizations that have very rigid control and power structures, the problem is all it takes is one bad leader and then the whole mission can change and there are no checks and balances to force things back onto the right path. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Well, I think the main... <laughs> we're done the episode. Yeah. Well, no, I think the main thing about... And like the reason we're talking about cults is, is despite the fact that there's occasionally benign influence or positive influence with organizations that use some of these tactics, the incredibly dangerous thing about either an organization that does use these tactics or more so some of the individuals that end up falling sway to these tactics is it does compromise critical thinking. It does compromise the ability to actually show uh, any kind of judgment. And they're like, we, we are in a period of history where people are not using very good judgment. And like this sort of lack of critical thinking is on the rise. Uh, people are being influenced by demagogues and dogmatic political groups in a way that I would say for the first time in my life, and I'm in my 40s, where I would say that my life for the most part was the world getting better. Like when I was mm -hmm. young, the, you know, communism was on the way out. Uh, freedom was on the march throughout the world. There was a sense that actual progress was being made for human rights and democracy all over the world. And that is actually starting to go backwards right now. And yeah. it's due to the fact that a lot of people do not have the ability to discern good information from bad. And both cults and conspiracy theories, which I think we're going to touch on a little bit, are a way of compromising people's ability to think critically. And they're vulnerable to that for a couple of reasons that we'll probably talk about 
fairly soon. But I think that's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because when I was growing up, I mean, you're always going to have people who disagree. And that's awesome. Like, yep. this in intellectual and respectful disagreement is really the way that you advance good ideas. You put ideas against each other and ideally the better one wins. But it used to be that people would agree well, on... So let me just go... For a better idea to win, the people listening to the idea have to be educated and intelligent enough to recognize a better, like a good idea from a bad idea. And a lot of people nowadays don't. Simplistic arguments really hit home with rubes. And that's why you get the, you know, the level of misinformation getting out into the world that it is right now and causing people to behave in really stupid ways. Well, let's maybe talk about that a little bit. You know, you see these people who join groups that from the outside, we can tell are pretty clearly either cults or have cultish aspects. Like yeah. as an example, and you know, to go to, to give an example of how cults are not necessarily always totally bad. I mean, for a lot of outsiders, let's be real. They think that what we do for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a total cult. Yep. <laughs> a lot of our family members effectively think that we act like we are members of a cult. So I guess the question is, what is it that makes people vulnerable to getting into these organizations, Rob? I mean, we see people who are in these groups and we think to ourselves, I can't understand why anyone would do that. But there are reasons why these kinds of groups are attractive to certain people. What are kind of some of the reasons why someone would want to get in bed with one of these organizations? Well, so, I mean, in, in my experience, when I say experience, I mean studying a little bit of this stuff, but also just seeing the kind of people that are drawn to martial arts in general. And like, I'm a lifelong martial artist. I started... And a lifelong cultist. Yeah. <laughs> and I started when I was 15 in Taekwondo. And so, so like, I've had a lot of... Um, a lot of interactions with a lot of different people across the board in martial arts, whether it's the traditional martial arts, which tend to be, I would say, much more culty mm -hmm. because they continue to exist in the face of like overwhelming evidence to the contrary of their effectiveness. But I would say that there are two major things. That, so in martial arts in general and like, like let's say lower tier cults, not like Jonestown, not this, not like Scientology, but basically you're looking at damaged people who are seeking belonging. That's kind of the first pathway. And that's like the really heavy cults. That's really how they grab people. Like if you're going to get caught up in Scientology, it's going to be because you've got some problems in your life you're basically broadcasting that to people who are like, you know, cult recruiters, people who are intelligent enough at spotting uh, a vulnerable individual and then offering them solutions to problems. So that's like, I, I would say the first bit is like vulnerable people who seek belonging. And, and it's the same for martial arts, right? Like somebody who was bullied in high school or elementary school or whatever, and you know, wanted to be more empowered, wanted to have the ability to, whether it's protect themselves or just change their personality, change their uh, their attributes towards the world based on a feeling of power can be drawn into a martial art that's culty because rather than promising effectiveness, which like the, the thing that saves jujitsu from becoming too culty is the fact that you've got to prove it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the sort of guys who are like, man, I was bullied in high school and I want an answer for that and I want to be able to beat people up. Are they really willing to do the work of doing whether it's jujitsu or boxing or like actually going and hard going, stuff go, like the hard stuff or are they going to go and do yellow bamboo or like you know certain branches of wing chun or karate or kung fu where it's like you don't ever actually spar but the teacher tells you it's so deadly in fact it's so deadly you can't even use it in the yeah. ufc like yeah, yeah. all that kind of horse <laughs> shit right <laughs> um, and so like if you're the sort of person who is vulnerable to that 
then you're actually much more likely to go into these horseshit martial arts than a real mm. one. But again, everything's on a little bit of a spectrum. So you could be somebody who wants the, like, or again, wants that feeling of belonging with a group and you're not even into it for the, like, let's say the self-defense and the being able to fight, in which case you're vulnerable to some of the, like the, the cultier um, jujitsu groups where they make it so much about just the community and the exaltation to the leader mm. and the special knowledge and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think that really when people do almost anything in life, they're doing it for kind of one of three reasons is either because they want increased status or they want more security in their life or they're doing it out of love, right? And in, in the case of jujitsu, most of the time there's, like you said, you know, people might be somewhat deficient in terms of their confidence in some ways and they look to martial arts to shore up that weakness. And I think for a lot of other people, it's a status thing, right? They want to be known as the badass who can fight. So that's how they get into this kind of stuff. And these are strategies that cults actually often exploit. Uh, if you look at martial arts that use uh, maybe more shady tactics to recruit, they will often use rec um, tactics like this. Like if you go to a jiu-jitsu school or you go to a kung fu, or not kung fu, kickboxing school, it's pretty clear that you're going to have to put in the work. That's what makes that stuff work. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the martial arts that are more culty and that are basically trying to deceive you, they want to convince you that it's actually easy if you have the secret knowledge and only ha they have the secret knowledge. Like a perfect example that I can think of is what we were just looking at, which is that Ari Bolden first strike thing. Uh, now, <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Ari is a, is a, you know, what they're doing is a cult. But on the other hand, what I would say is that if you look at their material, they're making it sound like... They use a lot of cult tactics. They definitely do. Yeah, yeah they're, they're making it sound like, look, you don't really need to actually put in the hard work and yeah. you don't really... Weekend courses. Yeah, you don't need to really actually train. That's just, you know, those, those guys who trained eight hours a day for 10 years, that stuff doesn't work on the streets. You only need to know 17 <laughs> things that are super, super, super easy. And you know, who's got that secret knowledge? Me. Me. Yeah. yeah. We, we've yeah. got that secret knowledge. So that, that yeah. kind of strategy is well, something that cults often use is they will sell you a solution that is easier than the real answer, which is usually, unfortunately, well, that's, hard work. So that, that's something I actually wanted to bring up is that, you know, we're talking about what leaves people vulnerable to, uh, whether it's recruitment or even just like falling down rabbit holes. Uh, YouTube, unfortunately, is a very potent tool for like radicalization. Uh, and the, the vulnerability point that comes with that is this idea of unearned superiority, right? Like we talk about first strike. Like you could learn to fight by taking jujitsu and boxing and it'll take you five years. Mm -hmm. Or you could get this thing that allows you to be a Shanghai gangster fighting <laughs> expert in, you know, in a weekend. And it's the idea that you get something, a sense of superiority over others that isn't earned. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and that's, you know, whether it's, it's an cult, easy whether answer, it's, that's it's what's an appealing easy answer. Like there's a saying, which is for every complex solution, there's a simple answer and that answer is always wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, but there is a, a group of, people, there's a vulnerable segment of the population. I like to call them morons. <laughs> and back in the day, if you were a moron, you knew you were a moron and you kept your fucking mouth shut because if you said the stupid shit that morons say, most people around you would tell you that you were a moron. Mm -hmm. But now you've got the internet and you can find these pockets of fellow morons and they don't want to feel like they're I've heard it described as a global network of village idiots, which yeah, I think well, is a that, great way to describe exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so you've got these village idiots 
who they don't want to feel inferior. They want to feel superior because they grew up in a society where they were told they were special. Their mom told them they were fucking great. Their teachers aren't allowed to criticize them. You know, they, they don't even give out A's and B's anymore. It's like extending and uh, like all these bullshit terms. So people have grown up with the idea that they are really fucking special and no one is telling them that they're morons. So when mm -hmm. the things that they believe, which are moronic, don't give them the sense of superiority like within the the group of people that they're dealing with. You know, if you talk to your friends and you say dumb shit and they're like, you're an idiot. Well, then they're going to go on YouTube and they're going to mm -hmm. fall down. Like I like to, I like to analogize uh, cults with conspiracy theory type thinking, which is the perfect example of like, I'm not that smart, but I want to feel smarter than everybody. I'm not that successful, but I want to feel superior to other people. So how can I do that? Could it be possibly that I'm not rich or successful because I don't work very hard? I'm not that smart. I don't apply myself. I'm not dedicated. I don't do any of these things. No, the more reasonable explanation is that the Bilderbergs are keeping me down. Mm -hmm. And there's a giant conspiracy against really smart people like me. And also because I'm one of the few people who actually knows about the conspiracy and realize it. There's that second like reinforcement of unearned superiority. So whether it's joining a cult of whatever variety of whatever severity that gives you that or whether it's going down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and feeling superior to people. It's like to put it in a jujitsu context. Anytime you go on a YouTube like jujitsu video that has enough views, you can get some fucking halfwit in the comments being like, well, that would never work on me. I'd just punch you in the balls. Yeah. That is what every conspiracy theorist sounds like. It's like, I don't have an education. I'm not actually intelligent enough to talk about this, but I know more than people who are like astrophysicists about mm -hmm. how the universe works. Like the world is flat. Like, yeah, yeah. A, lo a lot of the ways that cults get people in the door is they refute the answer that success comes through hard work. You know, they, they claim to have some knowledge that is the easy path. I mean, I, I got to quote Star Wars in every single episode, but there was in, in one, I, I can't remember if it was the movies or one of the books or something, but, the, but there was some parable about how like the dark side is attractive because it's easy. It promises the easy answer to you. Whereas the light side does not promise an easy answer. It promises a hard answer, but yeah. the hard answer. In Although theory, if, always okay. So because like I, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan. So the Jedi are actually Matt's a cult. like rolling his eyes like, right now. I used to be a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Then it they, started sucking horribly. That's exactly right. Like it started sucking real bad. Star Wars is basically a cult now because yeah. the people who are still oh, in Disney is a cult. Disney yeah. is definitely yeah yeah. As, as far oh god, as, but no, the, Disney is a good example. Like there there are a lot of companies that use cult tactics. I mean, in a in a free enterprise, you can never really have a, a company that is a true one hundred percent cult because theoretically your customers customers can leave. But the reality is a lot of businesses like um, Disney's one, Apple, Tesla, for example, they create like a cult of personality around them that kind of inspires their customers to rally around the brand. And uh, this is a pretty weak um, example of a cult. Like there are much, much stronger examples, but these are organizations which definitely do use some of these tactics. Well, just because uh, you, you can leave doesn't mean that it's not a cult. I mean, I think the most exactly. powerful cults rely on compulsion. They, they yes. rely on you to agree to 
agree to it and dedicate yourself to the cult, not just being forced to. It's not like every cult you you're forced to stay and you're not allowed to leave or they'll shoot you. They make you choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually through brainwashing. It's it's a matter of just continued escalation. We are actually going to talk about this, and maybe that's a good segue to talk about some of the different ways that cults operate. Now, some cults, the really bad ones, will basically check all of these boxes. Some cults that are a little bit milder, like Disney or uh, Apple or Tesla, they will check maybe one or two of these boxes. But this is a pretty good indication as to the quality of the organization that you're interacting with. You know, if you if you listen to this and you think, holy crap, this group that I'm part of checks all of these boxes, like there's a good chance that you're probably into some bad shit. <laughs> and, and the reality is a lot of these organizations, they don't exist to help you or make you better. They exist to enrich the master. Uh, that's part of the reason why cults are shitty is because they're basically influence mechanisms that exist to prop up the person who created it. They're kind of like giant pyramid schemes in that way, right? Where the, yeah. the all of the benefit funnels to the person at the top at the expense of people on the bottom. So, One of the things that's interesting that I've noticed in a lot of different types of cults is that one of the first things that cults will do is they'll establish an initial act of dominion over you. Like they'll do something to show that they're the ones who are in charge. Like an, an example, there's a like rel- they'll get make you buy a gi. <laughs> Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Well, no, even beyond that, and even, it's a good thing because you fit in and you look the same. Well, even even it's funny you mention that because I want to give this <laughs> this exact example. Uh, even before they make you buy the gi, they will make you bow to the master. And this is one of the things about martial yeah. arts that I absolutely can't cannot stand. I mean, we've already talked in the past about the Gracies and all of this, but some Helio's picture, right? Or, or Carlos <laughs> or whoever. But you know, when you walk into the gym and you're asked to bow to the master, you don't even know who this person is. You don't know what they represent, yeah. but you walk into a building and the guy says, you have to bow. And there's 30 people standing there watching you to make yeah. sure you do this. Yeah. They've created a situation where it is socially awkward now for you to say no. Yeah. And Third so mentality. Yeah. And so most people will go along with it because they think, well, look, I just, I just want to make these people happy. What, what harm can it cause? Exactly. And, but what that does is it sets the tone of your relationship. They have, it, it's like an abusive relationship, right? If you ha, if you get a new partner and on like the second night that you go out on a date with them, they punch you in the face <laughs> and then, they, but they're able to convince you to stay with them. They've already demonstrated that they dominate you and you'll do no matter, or you'll do whatever they want and there's nothing you can do about it. That's basically what bowing to the master means. Now that might seem like a, small initial first act of dominion, but then they're going to upsell you on the You mean punching someone in the face is a small (laughs) one? I meant meant bowing to the the master. But then, you know, then, yeah, they're going to upsell you on the gi. And then before you know it, you know, some organizations might not go that crazy, but some of them might, you know, and once they've established that that they have dominion over you, it gets easier and easier to ratchet up the control mechanisms down the road. Um, Some schools, there's actually a really, really famous martial arts cult called Chengmu Kwan, which... I love because it's got my name in it. Um, But basically, they're like this. Is it yellow bamboo? I I don't know. But there's some like. I've never even heard of that. Oh. What is that? uh, It's like another shooting chi at people kind of thing where like. There's no no touch falling down. Yeah. Those videos are crazy. Yeah. I I don't think it's like that. But it was some martial art that actually really caught on fire in like the 80s or the 90s in the US. Mm. And one of the things that they would do is when student came in for the first class, they just beat the shit out of them. Um, And if you think about it, think about the power that that has. If you beat the shit out of someone and then you sign them up afterwards, and of course they're going to sign up because they're terrified of you, you basically set the tone of that relationship that they own your ass and there's nothing you can do. 
do about it. Yeah. And at that point, you are no longer a free agent. So that yeah. initial... And that's... So just re- sorry to cut you off, but relative to jujitsu, I think it's important that we bring this up is that mm-hmm. uh, a way to recognize that kind of thing is like, obviously, when you're, uh, when you're rolling as a beginner... Anyone can beat you up, right? Like, yeah. you know, one of the reasons that uh, shady jujitsu instructors with like crappy credentials can succeed in small towns is because even if you're the level of a shitty blue belt, if you live in a town You'll of 10,000 everybody. people, yeah, you can still like a shitty blue belt in a town of 10,000 people is still the toughest dude in town. Uh, so like the, the, the way that these guys go about doing things is through physical dominion. Um, a, a way to recognize that this is a, a real problem is if you've got somebody who even outside of just like rolling with people a bit rough and maybe beating them up is when they demonstrate techniques. Cause like, I, yeah, I've done a lot of martial arts. Even before I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I was learning forms of Jiu Jitsu that involved submissions and stuff like that. Uh, and so I've seen instructors who, when they apply a submission in demonstration, even if they're just, whether it's doing it in front of a class or you know, even if you just take a couple of students aside and you're making corrections for them, when he holds a sub on you and he cranks it a little bit mm-hmm. and you tap, and he's still cranking it a little bit just to show that extra little bit of physical demand. Like if you've got an instructor like that, even if there are no, let's say they, he doesn't make you buy a gi. There aren't some of the other red flags, some of the McDojo stuff, but you got a guy who does that kind of thing. That is a massive, massive red flag as far as, uh, like again, like physical dominion, cult tactics type mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That attempt to kind of show physical dominance is a massive, massive red flag, probably above and beyond almost anything we've discussed in the past. Now, that's not to be confused with showing up on the first class and just getting handled. Like, that's, yeah. that's just the side effect of a martial art that's actually effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one thing if you are being made an example of. That's very, yes. very scary. And this exists in much more subtle ways in the real world. Uh, This is a very, very common tactic in the business world where if you are in a negotiation, the other party will intentionally show up like 30, 60, 90, 120 minutes late to the meeting and they'll make you wait. And they do that because they're demonstrating that they're the one in charge and your time is of no value by making you wait and sit there. Because once you've already made that commitment that you're willing to sit there and wait for two hours for this person, then... I mean, what else? You know, who, who you basically know who is leading the conversation. At so, what you're saying that Brazilian time is actually a cult strategy? <laughs> that's the first time that's occurred to me. That like, you know, the instructor shows up 30 minutes late, and a bunch of guys are standing around waiting. Well, for I, him. I think in that case, it's more laziness. <laughs> yeah. um, but actually, there's a great example of this in Steve Jobs's biography, where there's a story of some executive that tried to do that to Jobs, and basically said, "I want to show this Jobs guy that I'm the boss." <laughs> so he showed up late, and then Jobs just said, "Okay, we're going to start the meeting without." that guy and just kind of out of the whole thing. Yeah. That is the right response to do. If someone is late to a meeting like that, you just either get up and leave or you just move on without them. And you basically just say, okay, we don't need that person because that is like a one-on-one tactic on how to dominate someone yeah. is just to not respect their time. For for sure. And it's interesting that since we're talking a little bit about a little bit about jujitsu in this one, I used to have, <laughs> it's uh, not like this is a jujitsu. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I used to have this, I, I guess you'd call it a policy, although it's not something I ever thought of. It's like, if I, I don't make this uh, like a big deal about someone showing up late for class. I'm always on time. I've had people be like, man, it's, you know, it's amazing. And the whole time I've been training with you, you've never shown up late for class. I'm like, dude, if you showed the up late for your, high here, yeah, like, like <laughs> how, why is that impressive? You know, like the, uh, if you showed up late for your job, you'd get fired. I'm showing up on time to my job. That's not like a big deal, but th- there's a lot of schools or there are a lot of schools that do the, like, you know, if you show up late, 
Uh, you got to wait for permission to step on the mats yeah. or you got to, mm-hmm. you got to do burpees. You got to do shit like that. It's like, dude, you're an adult. You're paying me to be here. That's another like prime example of like cult tactics. Like again, dominion. Uh, but yeah. flip the other way. When people would show up late, what I used to do is like, oh, they were 10 minutes late. No big deal. I'll show them what we were just working on because they missed the beginning of class. They missed the instruction. I don't N- do that. Now I don't no, do that no, at no, all. Now no. like, There's got to be consequences no, you, to your exactly. actions. Exactly. There's got to be consequences. Dude. So now you just wait for the next thing. Uh, but yeah, it's just, just like, again, like a little example. Yeah, the re- the reality, you're right. The reality is that some people just due to the, what, where they're working, they might just not be able totally. to Totally. And, and I've told people that yeah and as long as they're not disruptive in terms of how they come in that's fine but it's when you basically create some big ritual about how they have to go like do extra burpees or something that's ridiculous like this isn't a high school gym class yeah there are people that show up late occasionally and then there are people that show up late consistently and for the people that show up late consistency consistently the attitude that i've taken now is you know i I used to want to catch them up because Mm -hmm. you know if the first half hour of the class if you're not there, it's like missing the first half hour of a movie. You might as well, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what the tone of, the, of everything is. You don't know the storyline. So it's really hard to catch someone up who's selfishly hasn't been there the last half hour. And like, yeah, life gets in the way now and then. But if you're consistently late, now I'm at the attitude where, you know, you can, you don't have to even, you know, bow to master or whatever. That's, that's obviously cultish behavior, but like just join in the class and, and try to, Try to basically, you're on your own. Like watch, yeah. watch, and don't even, um, don't even join a group of two as a group of three, and then ask them to show you because now you're taking away their their time. Yeah. Their time. They were there. They learned it. Right. If you're going to show up late, don't be joining a group and saying, "Okay, what are we doing?" Like watch, and yeah. you're now now you have the task to sort the of. The group does not exist yeah. to catch you up. Exactly. Like you wouldn't just walk into a movie thirty minutes in and shout to the theater, "Hey, can someone catch yeah. me up?" Who can fill me in? Sorry, I got stuck in traffic. Can we just pause? this and can someone explain to me what I missed? It's exactly. And and you don't want to take away other people's, you know, repetitions as well. And they, they might not be certified instructors. So for them to show a technique might do everybody in the group harm, right? Yeah. So, so it's, you know, if you're going to show up late a half hour, you know, empower yourself, watch people what they're doing, and then try and fit in as, as seamlessly as possible. Don't be wasting anyone's time and yeah, sort of yeah, take yeah. ownership for yourself. Yeah. So like I was late today, but I was getting Rob a sandwich and a Steve a coffee. That is true. Matt, Matt was, we basically, we, yeah, we established an act of dominion over Matt. We made him feed us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, now this actually, we've talked about this briefly, but it leads into another tactic that cults often use, which is they have a mysterious mystical authority figure. Uh, this is extremely common and I don't know why exactly this works and why it appears in almost every single cult, but it does. Like every organization that I, that really, really is super culty has this like mysterious, mystical authority figure master guy whose personal backstory is like almost completely unbelievable in terms of like how realistic it actually is. And most people in a lot of cases have never even met this person, but you're expected to show severe deference to them. And all of the knowledge that the group has is stems from that person. Like this is something that actually even a lot of really marketing driven companies use. Like again, you know, Apple's got Steve Jobs, Tesla has Elon Musk, you know, they establish this cult of personality. And that is a very, very big part of cults, right? For example, in the case of like the Gracies, I mean, their whole family, there's this mythology around them, which we've already established is far from 100% true. Um, but this is not an uncommon strategy. I mean, you just have to look at like L. Ron Hubbard, for example, and Scientology. It is very, very common to establish this 
mysterious mythology around your organization and a master that must be respected and revered. And what's interesting is in a lot of the cults where the master is actually still alive, when you hear testimony from the cultists, whenever they actually meet this person, they usually come away with the perception that like, this person is not what I expected. I expected like Jesus. And what I got was basically some total weirdo who seemed like a, just a, a, a complete loser. And lo and I mean, lo and behold, once you leave the cult, you realize that's exactly what they were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like Ari. Well, Ari's a great example, although I, I think that, I think he's an example maybe of someone who is trying to position himself that way, but has failed quite miserably. Well, I just mean in the sense of like when the people actually like leave his school yes. and get exposed to other jujitsu, they're like, oh my God, that guy's such a turd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a situation where there's a, they build up a mythology around themselves. And usually there are some telltale signs about this, but one of them is, um, basically symbols of authority. Like usually this comes down to trying to dress yourself up in such a way that you look more authoritative than you otherwise would. An example, these like TV doctors who are always wearing like scrubs when they're on TV, they're like in a, a freaking talk show studio, but they're still wearing scrubs for no reason. They're only doing that to try to create the appearance of authority. And in the context of martial arts, like people who wear like flak jackets and camel pants <laughs> and teach combatives, like, look, there's no reason for you to wear a flak jacket or camo pants while you're sparring or showing a technique. They only do that because they want to look like a commando. Yeah. It's basically they're trying to buy authority. That's what it is. So you have to recognize when you see people doing that, that should be an immediate red flag. Yeah, I love like the whole commando martial arts thing is a hilarious like sidetrack. Like it's not traditional martial arts. It's not shooting chi at people. It's not yeah. that kind of stuff. It's we're so much better than real martial arts that yeah. you can't even use it's, our techniques because well, you'll just die instantly. Well, no, but it's not even that. Like because because like the, the the traditional martial arts do that, right? Like there are schools of kung fu that will tell you that you know if you do this particular death touch, there's that same shit. But it's just the 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 obvious like argument from authority kind of thing where it's like the the common understanding of commandos that people have is they've seen a movie and in a movie a commando is yeah. like a guy who can beat anybody up in hand to hand and he's a sniper and he can do this and he can do that and he can basically do every possible combative skill that exists this one commando is an yeah. expert in all of it rather than it's like well, no, this guy might be a... He's a negotiator. He might like, be a negotiator. He might be a communication specialist. He might be like, you know who's probably really good at fighting in the military? Military police. Because they have to subdue trained soldiers and, like, arrest them. You want to learn fighting? Maybe go to that guy. Don't go to the guy whose job it is to, like, sneak up on people and kill them with a sniper rifle. Mm -hmm. Like, that guy's not going to be awesome at hand-to-hand -hand combat, even if he is an actual commando, because that's not their specialty. That's mm -hmm. not really what they do. Like, I've trained guys that are special forces. I've rolled with guys that are military of all kinds. They're not, like, badass hand-to-hand -hand combat fighters, yeah. because that's not mm -hmm. their specialty. So, selling this idiot notion, but again, it just goes back to uninformed consumers to whom a really like bullshit low level facile argument will snow like oh that guy was a commando man he must be like steven seagal and then people who know what's up they're like yeah exactly he's probably like steven seagal and people who don't are like oh my god steven seagal is amazing when you mention how people like uh kind of lack the critical thought or maybe they get caught up in something or brainwashed and they're in a cult and, um or they're in a particular group and they don't have the ability to like critique their own thoughts and question go against the grain. Do you think a lot of that has to do with like 
social media, things, different forms of communication that weren't around a few decades ago. And now people can get sucked into these like echo chambers. And they also, you know, with the 24 hour news cycle, or they just sort of like, I don't really believe a lot of what mainstream news says a lot anymore. I don't know what's real and what's not. You kind of have to just try and see the bias for yourself. Um, I think that's part of it. Like, I think that these, the tactics, they've always been around, right? Like cults have been around for thousands of years, but I think now the main difference is you can create them remotely. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't have to get 50 people into one room anymore. You can create a YouTube channel or you can put something on social media and reach millions of people instantly. And so I think that makes these tactics a lot more dangerous in some ways because it, it used to be, it used to take a lot more work, I think, to create a cult. Yeah. And I'm, so let me push back a little bit about that because um, I hear people say this a lot, like, oh, I don't believe what I hear in mainstream news. And then what is their news source? It's fucking Alex Jones or it's Fox News. Mm -hmm. And they're actually drastically less informed than somebody who just watches a regular mainstream shitty news organization. Like there's independent news out there, but I find nine out of 10 times when people say they don't pay attention to the mainstream news. It's because they've gotten into an echo chamber and they only get their news from that echo chamber. And what if they see in quote unquote mainstream news disagrees with their echo chamber. So now they don't believe anything that comes from what are actually far more legitimate sources than their little like bubble, uh, like bullshit propaganda organization that they get their news from. Well, that's a great transition into one of the other tactics that a lot of cults use, which is they have secret knowledge. Almost every organization that is somewhat culty is going to have this. Basically, they've got incredible tactics and tricks and techniques that will change your life immediately. Uh, but there's a few things that you can kind of identify as red flags right away. One of them is that they're deceptively simple and appealing. So the organ the examples that you provide I did, Rob, are a great example because in the real world, usually the right answer is work hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's normally how you get what you want. I wouldn't but, even say usually. I would say like almost all 99.9% yeah. yeah. of the time. Or in the case of critical thinking, it, it would be think hard. Yeah. But what a lot of these cults will do is they will sell you a simpler solution. They'll say, hey, we've got secret knowledge. You actually don't have to do all of that research. You actually don't have to spend five years on the mats training. We've, through decades and decades of passing down and refining these secret techniques that can't be shared with anyone, we've figured out a way to shortcut the system and we can get you the same results much, much faster, but you can't tell anyone and you got to join our group. Um, this is very, very appealing because it sounds easy and yeah. people well, shortcuts are appealing no matter what. And there are real shortcuts. There right? are like, real shortcuts. Yeah. yeah. They, and, and that's the thing, right? A, a lot of the time there are real shortcuts and that's why I think these, these tactics work is because sometimes it's hard to tell if it's a legitimate shortcut or yeah. if it's but not. I, so something actually, I, I, I guess we didn't get a chance to touch on this or I forgot to mention it is one of the main reasons that these, um, whether it's cult groups or whether it's like conspiracy theories, whether it's dogmatic, uh, religious or uh, political groups, one thing they do exceedingly well is they identify a real problem. Mm -hmm. And like people who think that they're too smart to be sucked into a cult or become a dogmatic, uh, you know, like doctrinaire political operative or whatever. People who think they're too smart for that, the, the, the gateway is always a real problem. Yeah. That is, it's a bit of an intractable one. It's like, man, this sucks. This is obviously a problem and things aren't being done about it because it's a bit of a complicated problem. Mm -hmm. And then they start to offer uh, one reasonable and realistic critique of that issue. 
Because you can't just start out with the crazy, right? Like Scientology doesn't start out with, hey guys, here's Xenu, right? They start out with, hey, are you feeling you know, upset about your life? And right? So yeah, yeah, they've yeah. got all these ways of- They boil the frog, they, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So the, the, and that is the, uh, like the, the gateway. So for instance, like I like to draw a couple of parallels because I think people who've never entertained a cult, uh, like again, whether it's a religious cult or anything that, like towards that, uh, that venue, but still might be prone to the type of, um, like compromised thinking in other areas. I think if I draw some parallels, uh, it might be useful. So, uh, and again, I, I'm not of any particular political disposition, although people who've like listened to pod- Rob is a communist. <laughs> I've, uh, people who've listened to podcasts that I've done where I've criticized one side We'll assume that I'm on the other side and then I'll criticize. Which is in itself a critical thinking fallacy. Fallacy. And then when I criticize the other side, they think that I must be on that side. And so people literally assume that I'm either some like total far right or total far left when I actually don't fall anywhere. Just totally far out, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, like a a good analogy would be like the um, like, let's say you're a conservative. Right. The, the basic definition I think most people would agree with of a conservative, somebody who believes that they should stick with older methods until newer methods are tested and proven better. Right. Like you don't want to try some fancy new shit until you're definitely sure that it works better than some old shit. It was why you'll see pushback against uh, any solution that's offered for climate change because, well, we don't know that this is going to work better than what we've got mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Good example. Right. So and, and there are a lot of people who are who come by their conservative leanings or their conservative disposition very honestly. Like, they're like, you know, sometimes this stuff works. There are things that I'm conservative about. Uh, there are certain things that I definitely believe we're moving too quickly on until it's actually proven to be a solution. I don't want to go in that department. But they're not dogmatic about it. They're not mm-hmm. like, everything is better if it's this. And then you've got like the culty side of like dogmatic right-wingers where it's like they argue for drug prohibition and the death penalty, even those those are things that have been proven empirically not to work. So now you're a conservative, you don't want to try something new, but you're defending the thing that absolutely doesn't work, right? Uh, things like uh, deregulation, regardless of consequence, like deregulation is always good. No, deregulation is sometimes good. There's a lot of stupid, stupid regulation. The government does a lot of dumb shit. But if you can't see that some regulation is really necessary and you're just dogmatic about it, you're basically falling prey to cult thinking, right? Like supply side economics absolutely doesn't work, but it's like a tenet of dogmatic right wing ideology. So you can be a conservative and you can be an intelligent human being who thinks for themselves because some people are right when they're offering conservative solutions. Flip side of that is, you, you know, the definition of a progressive is you believe that you should change antiquated failed systems to create a society with an equal playing field that allows all their citizens to flourish. I think that's a fair description of a progressive, right? Mm-hmm. So you could, again, believe that, hey, you know, there, there are certain aspects of our, so there are certain populations in certain societies that are disadvantaged and you want to create an equal playing field by creating opportunities for them through education, through like obviously all kinds of different things. But then you've got dogmatic left-wingers who will actually argue for communism. So, you know, you believe that society should change and antiquated failed systems should be discarded, but you're arguing for communism. Yeah. Right? Like you're, you, you believe in speech and thought police, right? Uh, eliminating merit, right? That kind of stuff. So if you find yourself on that side of the spectrum, then you're basically, your, your thought process is compromised. You're no longer able to see 
effective solutions from different sources, you're only able to see solutions from your sources. Yeah, this is a common way for people to slowly but surely shut down your critical thinking process, yeah. right? Um, if you confront someone directly and say, hey, I, I want you to believe that like the sky is green, like people ha will immediately put their guard up and realize you're crazy. But the way that a lot of people will do this is they will start with something that is reasonable and clearly true that we would all agree on. Um, yeah. And then they slowly boil the frog and introduce things that sound reasonable, but are actually really pseudoscientific and crazy. And then before exactly. you know it, they've had you swallow the whole pill. Yeah. It's like, like it, the, a good uh, example of this is like the, the, uh, the alt-right YouTube pipeline where it's like, it starts out with, aren't social justice warriors idiots? Well, yeah, everyone pretty much agrees with that, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't crazy left-wingers idiots? Yeah, everyone agrees with that. And then you keep, you get another video that's suggested, you get another video that suggested a couple months go by, and next thing you know, you're a white nationalist, right? Like it doesn't have, they don't start out with, you know, certain races are superior and we should deport low IQ people of other races. Although, by the way, it's always the guys that are like low IQ that are for white nationalism. They never make it about like, what well, if, if you have a problem with people with lower IQs, why don't you deport stupid white people? Mm -hmm. Anyway, but sorry, let's start a tangent, but like that's, that's how it gets done. You mm -hmm. start with a super reasonable, uh, problem. And next thing you know, they offer you one solution, which is like, criticize this. This is stupid. You have to fight against dogmatic doctrinaire, like left-wing nonsense. You don't want communism. You don't want speech police. You don't want thought police. You don't want that in your country. Once that gets into your country, you know, that's it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely critical for citizens of a free society to recognize that as pernicious and fight against it. It's mm -hmm. gone way too far in uh, academia, right? Like mm -hmm. there are uh, definitely like, you know, I, I know people who go to VIU, which is Vancouver Island University, which isn't even a real university, but whatever. Uh, I was going to say, what the hell is it's VIU? It's not a real university. It's like a technical college that rebranded themselves so they could charge foreign visitors more money for their courses. It's total nonsense. So, so it's a cult basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A but, lot of post-secondary yeah. but, so, but that's But so that's the thing. That's a legit criticism is a mm -hmm. lot of post-secondary stuff is compromised because mm -hmm. all the professors are like avowed Marxists, which is basically like you're, you're so you're saying that you really are like intellectually compromised if you're an avowed Marxist at this point. But the fact that that's bad doesn't mean that the alt-right guys are right about anything else because they're pretty much wrong about everything else. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, like it's a, it's an insidious stepping stone to stepping stone to stepping stone. So, sorry, that's... So, so this actually ties into something else that I wanted to kind of talk about because you you brought up a good point, which is a mistake people often make is just because I'm against one thing, that doesn't mean I necessarily support the opposite. Yeah. Um, so this, I know, I know how much you love wedges, man. So we should probably <laughs> talk about what this is called in like the political world, which yeah, is a wedge, wedge issue. issue. So for those who haven't actually heard what this means, it's basically a strategy that people use to segment a group. So they might say like, look, I know everyone has a hundred opinions on different things, but we believe that if we can convince enough people to get behind us on this one item, we can effectively cut the group in half and move all of these people onto our side of the fence, regardless of what they believe elsewhere. Yeah. Sounds like you're talking about American politics. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> just super binary. I mean, yeah. you hear about uh, American politics is a good example of that because there are only two parties. And that's how, that's why you get situations where like the Republicans might adopt something that actually sounds 
sounds really progressive or the Democrats might adopt something that sounds really conservative. It's because those labels don't mean anything anymore. It's just they identify wedge issues that can strategically move people to their side, to the other side. So cults use wedges. Basically, the cults use wedges all the time. One of the things that a cult will try to do is they will basically use their knowledge and as a wedge to separate you from the rest of society and your support network. That is why when you look at a lot of cults, what they'll do is they'll try to disassociate you from your friends and your family. Because first it starts off with, oh, we've got this, this great knowledge, this great secret knowledge, and which as Rob has established, like it starts off sounding reasonable, but then it gets very pseudoscientific and crazy by the end of it. But once you swallowed all of that, now all of your friends and your neighbors and your family are going to think, why are you believing this crazy stuff? And that's when the wedge starts. And then the, the, what, what the cult tries to do is put in that wedge so that you fall on their side and not on the side of society. And that's how they start to create these insulated yeah. groups that believe crazy stuff. Yeah, that's why I think that like social media is a huge uh, medium for that. Because, it is. It definitely Because is. you can see in real time people's actual opinions and then – for some reason, because we're not face to face having an actual conversation, yeah, we're just civility goes out the door. Yeah, we're just reading each other's text, so you can perceive anyone's comments any which way. Or if someone posts a video that you find really, you know, disturbing, and then you, you know, immediately now you think of that person slightly differently, just automatically. And yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked in previous episodes about how like social media was meant to sort of keep us connected and and bring us together and I keep relationships strong. It's, isolated it's, people. Yeah. it's completely the opposite. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like communism where you you know the idea is for everyone to be equal and everyone to flourish and, and then the and, inverse and, happens. And then you, exactly, yeah. it's the upside down, right? Yeah, yeah. It's but, bizarre because well, it's like there's that phrase Facebook moms, right? Like a Facebook mom is a mom. Like there's you know we want to talk about wedge issues. Uh, the fact that the pharmaceutical industry does shady stuff. And is responsible for bad things happening. That's a great wedge issue because you start out with a super reasonable thing, which is like, maybe there shouldn't be such a strong profit motive for certain things. Maybe this shouldn't happen. Maybe that shouldn't happen. And then a year down the road, you've got a fucking anti-vaxxer who believes in homeopathy, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, it's... Yeah, so that's... That's actually an important thing to understand is when you are being wedged, both in jujitsu and in real life. It's very, it's very important to understand. Um, yeah, so like, I'll give a jujitsu example of a wedge issue, the goddamn knee reaping rule, right? Like the IBJJF has 40 year old hobbyists convinced that if somebody puts them in a heel hook or sorry, not in a heel their hook, leg in, is in going to knee disintegrate. Reap, their leg is going to disintegrate. Hey man, ask Cub Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this thing called case tapping that point. you can do. <laughs> But so sorry, like, called what? Case, it's case in point. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. No, we, can, so, we can cut that out for the folks at home. We're not going to cut that no, out. No, we're not going to. I but like at anything that will make Matt look stupid while cutting out things that make me look well, stupid. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Sorry. Well, but that's, but that's the level of argumentation that people will give. It's like, well, I can give you one example of a guy blowing his knee out in this situation. Yeah. Like, yeah, because he, he did, did the, the, he did totally the absolute wrong. <laughs> wrong thing and took his own health yeah. into his hands and put it in jeopardy and you get the result that you get. That yeah. You got. And, and, that and there was no, no heel hooks. Either. There was no, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that tends to especially happen to people who have not trained with knee reaping because they don't know what to do. That's exactly. usually right. when you see people blow up their knees because they try to roll the wrong way or do something incredibly stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's a wedge issue. So you've got people who are like IBJJF people who only follow IBJJF rules, who don't actually have the necessary experience with any other aspect of jujitsu. And 
again, like their thought process is compromised because of the fear mongering that has gone into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think another example that almost everyone can relate to when it comes to wedge issues in jujitsu is whether or not you're allowed to train at another gym. This is one of the most common things I hear people say is on my instructor doesn't want me to train anywhere else. Like that is the beginning of creating a wedge between you and the rest of society. And I am very, very dubious of any school who suggests that. First of all, because it's basically empirically proven that you're going to learn more if there's free sharing of information, but also because it prevents you from really testing whether your instructor is actually the best source of information. That is a tactic that people do if they're afraid of losing your business and they want to lock you in is they make it harder for you to go and use competing products, right? For sure. So what I would actually suggest is that like in my experience, I don't actually know many or almost any clubs where the instructor outright prohibits people from training elsewhere. My instructor if, in the past has specifically told me, don't go train at other gyms. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, I mean, not the instructor I, know, I have now. Yeah, no, of course, of course. No, no, the instructor you have now actually told me to not train at other gyms and that's why I left, <laughs> but you stayed there. But so. but it, it's the same thing though, right? Like if that, that should be, if someone ever tells you like, don't go train at another gym, probably the first thing that you should do is go, go train, train at another, another gym. gym. Yeah, but so I, I think what they actually do that's more insidious is they won't one, they won't outright state it. They won't say it. They certainly won't say it public, publicly or they'll, they'll privately state it because I have like, there's a gym on the island that is a Gracie, uh, Hoist Gracie affiliate. And they, the guy will never admit that he prohibits his students from training elsewhere. But I've had students who have asked, like have specifically told me, like, I asked him if it's okay for me to train with you while I visit your town. And he said, no, you're not part of the Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu network. Mm-hmm. There are other schools that are part of this Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu network on the island where they want me to come and teach a class there or teach a seminar or workshop. And then they ask the main guy, not Hoist Gracie, but like the main guy on the island uh, 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 from this affiliation. And like, well, no, I don't want that. I don't want him to teach this. So like they're, they'll do it here and there, but they won't make it a public policy. They won't state it as much in public or they'll very, I wouldn't even say subtly, they'll very obviously discourage people from training elsewhere. They won't prohibit it. They'll say, oh, well, you know, that's a, we're a self-defense school. That's a hardcore competition school. So, you know, like you really shouldn't go there because yeah, they're not going to teach you any self-defense. And the, the stuff you'll learn is actually bad for self-defense. So you're actually going to be you know, like unwinding your, your jujitsu training that you've worked so hard. Like these are this gun defense that we're doing. That it's going to make you know, really necessary on Vancouver Island where it's a retirement community. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> well, well that, that's another reason why people create these wedges, because if you have been separated from the rest of your support network or from competing ideas, it's a lot easier for the cult leader to prevent you from realizing that you're being fed bad information, right? Um, exactly. That is a very, very common tactic is to pull you in and then whatever secret knowledge they give you, you don't have a realistic way to to validate it. Like, I mean, you look at what these like crazy no-touch guys do and you look at that and you think, how could anyone possibly believe <laughs> that you can KO someone with mind bullets? And then they act it out. Yeah, and th- but you know what? If you're like locked in a dojo with 30 other dudes who fall over every time you shoot a mind bullet at them and no one is questioning your how crazy this sounds because you've cut all of those people out of your life. Yeah. Like at that point, you can start to believe anything. And that's how you yeah. wind up getting these cults that fall into these incredibly, incredibly weird and bizarre thought patterns. Yeah. Cults, cults recruit in so many different ways. Like, uh, actually I heard from one of the female students at your gym that there's a local school here that basically advertised on social media that, 
We're doing a woman's only open mat. Come, any ladies from any school affiliation are welcome to come to our gym on this Sunday or whatever. We're going to have a women's open mat. Okay, that's great. And all these women show up. I can already tell we're off to a bad start and here. Then, and then the head instructor, once all the women got there, was supposed to be an open mat. But what he started to do is show a self-defense seminar essentially so it was marketed as just free training and then you get there and he's trying to almost give you like a sales pitch like here's yeah. what we offer yeah. here's and that in itself and is an act of dominion because yeah. they've pulled you and in they've misled you and you are still willingly sitting there allowing yourself to be sold to so basically he's already put you in a position where the instructor here is the one who's sitting in the seat of power that's right and and another thing i don't like was the you know the whole um women's self-defense thing kind of bothers me because it plays upon the fears of women. So exactly. women will think, well, geez, I mean, I could be a victim of, uh, you know, an assault or whatever, which is, uh, it could be a reality, right? But they, uh, marketing tactics that play on fears and play on insecurities of people is, you know, a lot of the time, I think that those people don't realize how I find it distasteful as a gym owner, how, you know, how bad that that could be. But it's very, it's a very effective way to lure people in and then sort of, you know, keep them. And, you know, we can have other discussions on women's only programs, but essentially a lot of the marketing falls around that strategy. 100%. And that, that kind of stuff I do worry about a lot because I understand the appeal. I mean, if you are a, a woman and you are particularly concerned about being assaulted by a man, of course, you're going to be more comfortable training with other women. But I worry too that by separating all of the women into the second group where the the level of resistance is much lower and it's more closer to like katas and drills and stuff, I kind of feel like you're not really showing people how to fight in a realistic manner at that point. You're giving Absolutely. people false confidence. And yeah. this is, again, these tactics kind of fall under the skeezy cult, or cult category, yeah. right? Like I think at most of the gyms I know where they teach legitimate women's self-defense, the strategy is you just throw them in the mixer with everybody else and exactly. you just make sure that people are all educated not to be bad partners. Yeah. That's not a gender-specific thing. I mean, as, as a guy, I don't want to roll with some crazy guy who's going to slam me either. That's not a man-woman thing. It's yeah. just a common sense thing. Well, I think that if you want to have a women's only jujitsu class because you have a women's competition team, that's, that's actually that, a, that's a little good bit idea. Sense. Because then you've got like, yeah, what kind of body type are you going to be going yeah. up against? You know, what you're not going to fight men. You're not going to fight men. Mm -hmm. But if your interest is in jujitsu as self-defense and you're in a women's only, like... Women's what's, only self-defense. What's the point? Like, are you going to go to a bar, yeah. get into a bar fight with another chick? Like, that's yeah. idiotic, right? That's, like, you, you yeah. should be learning in a in an environment where your most likely you know, antagonist, assailant, whatever you want to call it, is representative of the body types in the class. So, you know, you're a 110-pound woman. You want to actually have experience rolling with a 180-pound guy who's actually trying to come after you. If you don't have that, it's the same reason that when I was, I always say that like, if you're training for self-defense and you don't compete, you are lying to yourself. There is absolutely no way to train for self-defense without using the best single tool for self-defense, which is the adrenaline simulation or like the, the, sorry, not the simulation, but like the simulation of combat that comes with a tournament where the adrenaline is such a huge part of it. The fact that it's someone you don't know who's actually trying to get you, not your buddy at the gym who's throwing a simulated strike so you can do Gracie self-defense move number five, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're, yeah, a lot of people are lying to themselves when it comes to self-defense training. If you want to do self-defense training, do MMA, do boxing, do jujitsu, do wrestling. 
if you're not doing that, yeah. you're not really training self-defense. We, we've talked before about how like MMA, I think, is probably the best form of, of hand-to-hand combat. Uh, Absolutely. You know, you know, that you that yeah. you could learn and, and that will simulate that, you know, all the different level changing and grappling yeah. and you're striking and you're fighting and the adrenaline and all that stuff. Um, but I think, you know, we were talking about like women's self-defense programs and things like that. Uh, by shielding women from having men as training partners, but yet you're still saying that it's a self-defense thing. It goes back to that whole trying to give people things without making them work for exactly. it or, or without forcing them into a, you know, in, in, into, superiority. It, yeah. It, yeah. into discomfort uh, in order to grow. Right. And I think yeah. a lot of cults will also, you know, they'll, they'll do that. Like you'll walk into a cult uh, or <laughs> walk into a school and I've, I've been to multiple either Taekwondo or karate schools. And it says blatantly on the side of the wall, for some reason, I see this phrase at multiple schools. It's our goal is black belt. Excellence. I've seen that yeah. before. It's like I, your path is the yeah. black belt or your goal yeah. is the black belt. Exactly. Really? It's like, so you're putting the end goal to somebody before they've even had their first lesson. They're going to walk in and they're going to read that and be like, oh, that's the goal is to get my black belt. Mm-hmm. It's like, shouldn't your goal be Kaizen and just every day trying to improve. Uh, be- improve and become more knowledgeable and realize that it's a, you know, it's not about the belt. It's more about your skills and your merit. Um, but putting that whole black belt before everything, or even, you know, of course we don't even have to talk about how ridiculous it is to, to, to give kids black belts or to have like junior black belt programs. Basically, not only does it devalue the, the, the actual rank of black belt, but it just puts the, it puts the end goal before the work, yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, I think a really good way parents come in and they think like, Oh, my kid could be a black belt. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, I'm going to buy into this. My kids. And I hear it all the time yeah. from, from kids that cross over from other schools. And then they come to my school and they're, Oh, well, you know, little Jimmy is a black belt in Taekwondo and the kid's like eight. It's like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what you should do yeah. going forward. Oh, it's just, 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 I'm just a, smash him. Yeah, I'm just, a black belt. Just put him in like a rear naked and just don't let it go. Yeah. Um, but that's actually a really good transition into something else that is common in almost every single cult, which is that there is a very clear hierarchy. And the goal is to advance up the chain and prohibit and questioning or challenging the people above you is basically prohibited. The presence of a rigid hierarchy is very common in cults. Um, Like if you look at like Chung Mu Kwan or some of these martial arts cults, like this, it is very much a situation where like people go in there because they want to get up the ladder and get to that next belt level or whatever. And because when they do that, they will have greater status within the group. Almost all, like look at Scientology. That is a great example of where there are like classes. There's levels within the organization. Um, And of course, this is something that is very common in martial arts. I mean, the whole belt system basically works that way. But in some martial arts, it is, and they're just more culty and this is more pronounced than in others. Yeah, I, th- I think in a lot of martial arts schools you go to, uh, the more that they talk about the the master and the more they talk about belts and promotions, I, I generally find the more culty it is. When Definitely. You, when you focus on things like rank and status, uh, you know, in my, in my school, I, I have the belts hanging on the wall so that you can visibly see the order of belts, but we don't talk about it. We don't yeah. talk about promotions. We don't charge for stripes. There are gyms out there that say, okay, you need to sign up for your stripe testing. And essentially, Actually means is what that means is you have to sign up to pay me. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's like, why are we talking so much about ranking? It sets the precedent that like, that's the, 
that's the most important part when really it should just be about Kaizen. Yeah. So the other interesting thing that cults do, in addition to this hierarchy, they know that all of the members want to get up the chain on the hierarchy. Yes. So the way that they do that is escalating levels of commitment. Um, basically, they start up and there's an initial cost. And then if you want to get up to the next level, it's a much greater cost. And then by the end of it, you're paying a ton. Now, in the context of like jujitsu, this means in a lot of places you go in and you pay your fee, but then up got to buy that gi, got to buy the official gym gi. And oh, you, well, you know what? We think you're ready for that test for that next belt test, but that's going to be a hundred bucks. Um, this is a very, and there are actually schools that charge you more the longer you've been there yes. and the higher Escalating you go up. Cost. Yeah, like, so really? Yeah, yes. You, you yes. pay more a blue belt than you do at white. You pay more a purple than you do yeah. at blue. That's totally new to me, but that's this oh, is no, ridiculous. A, absolutely. This is a hallmark of cults. Like this is why when you get into cults like Scientology, by the end of it, they're basically asking for your yeah. entire income. Yeah. Because um, they're like, because they're like, oh, well, at this next level, it's worth more than, yeah. is, yeah. is yeah. that the whole, yeah. I don't even get exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, you want an example. such a shitty businessman. Example. I don't know if you guys, Rob, I know you've heard of this because we've talked of it. There's this group called Landmark. Yes. They're basically like this personal development network. Yeah. And they're I, like Tony Robbins without the, the figurehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're um, basically their idea is they're kind of like one of these like Toastmasters type clubs where you go there and you learn to be the best version of yourself. But they do employ some very, very shady tactics. Like one of the things that they'll do is when you go to um, and you go to your first session, they'll basically just humiliate you in front of the group. And then they'll justify it by saying, oh, we're just trying to expose your personal weaknesses so you can grow. But it's like, no, that is an act of dominion. But one of the other things they'll do is they'll sell you on the first course, which might be a few bucks. And then they'll sell you on the next one. And then they'll sell you on the next one, which is triple the price. And then they'll get you to bring your friends in. And like that's, these things are all symptoms of a cult. They will either ask for escalating money or escalating commitments of your time. And by the end of it, you can wind up basically being free labor for the cult and being free promotional material. Um, that's a very, very common thing. And that does exist even in jujitsu where a lot of gyms will test for belts and Matt too yeah as you said some places they will charge you more as you get further up the chain that is absolutely a common thing and I would actually say that when people ask you to buy their gi that's part of this as well is yeah. they're they're asking you to wear their brand but they want in order for well, you sorry, wait, wait, when they at, and we're not they're not asking no they're demanding they're demanding, you have to yeah, they're demanding that you basically yeah. wear their their brand but also you have to pay for it and then you got alternative options like Keenan said, you know, he'll exchange a gi. Like, I guess, I guess you have to wear, do you have to wear a specific color at Legion? I don't know that that's the case. Like, from what I understand, Keenan is actually pretty actively trying to like he's un- against undo it. this like yeah. mandatory gi nonsense. Uh, he's really against a lot of the like the culty type stuff that we see in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. So, but didn't I, he? I think he said he ex- he'll exchange one gi per new student, like for a, an existing gi that they already have or something like that. Well, fr- from what I understand, he was actually doing it as like a, as a charity thing where the, those gis would the, the the traded in gis would be donated, right? Uh, so, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a much more reasonable situation than like, Hey, I'm going to sell you this gi that I made for 20 bucks and you're going to pay me 200 bucks for it. And we won't tolerate anything but this gi in my gym. Yeah. Yeah. Like what about patches though? Cause I mean, at some point I think it's like, okay, if you, if you like, I don't have a patch policy at my school, although I'm not totally against the idea. Like I think you should be able to wear whatever gi you want. I understand some schools only want white gis, which I think is kind of silly because they're horrible to train and they just get brown and gray. Yeah. But um, I, I can I can honestly I understand, understand a white gi if you have white mats and yeah. you need to keep the mats clean. I can understand it. I don't agree because like, so what, the mats are 
they've got black scuffs on them. Like, yeah. they're still clean. You're cleaning them after class, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, right. I, like, I, I, I know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, do, what's your opinion on, uh, like, let's say a school had a patch policy where they must wear a patch? I don't love it. But I'm okay with it because it's less of a financial gain for the the business. Yeah. Like, it's, it's clearly not like a cash grab. Yeah, it's more yeah. Like, well, I, so we just want you to like represent. I I actually don't agree. I'm. Uh, I mean, we're gonna. I think later on talk about like what policies do we have in place to prevent this sort of thing from happening. So we, we can probably save this for for the discussion later on. But I just think anything that where there's a requirement. Again, we're talking about dominion. We're talking about financial incentive. We're talking about conformity. If you're just like, hey, man, I got patches. If you want a patch, I'll sell you a patch. That's essentially then what I have. That's, that's mm-hmm. what we do. Because then, and like, honestly, the adoption rate is so high that it's not worth mandating. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. by, the only thing you're achieving by mandating it is dominion. It's control. Mm-hmm. If, you, if it's just about the right, because the, the flip side of the argument, and again, this is where like, the, uh, you know, let's talk about Gracie Baja because they employ some of these tactics. The flip side of the argument is always like what they're trying to say is like, listen, these are revenue things. Uh, like when you hear people talk about it, you know, they, they don't, they don't say that in public, right? Like they won't, they'll say, oh, it's about, uh, you know, team cohesiveness and blah, 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 all this bullshit. We're like right? fighting We're, like a family or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that kind of nonsense. Um, but in private, the, the argument, or like, you know, if this, if this uh, topic comes up on Reddit, people will be like, well, yeah, you know, fuck them for trying to make a living, right? Well, no, that's a bullshit argument, right? Like the argument is that the only way to make a living in jujitsu, and we talked about this in our uh, previous podcast about ethics in jujitsu uh, uh, and ethics in business. The only choice is you either are a huckster salesman who employs predatory tactics and makes everyone buy everything, or you're a, a broke, starving artist. And so the argument is that, well, yeah, well, they're using these tactics, but these tactics ensure that they stay in business. Bull fucking shit. Like the amount of people who will buy your gi and buy your patches, if you just say, hey, I have them, do you want them? The adoption rate will be 95%. So it's not really a revenue. Like you're going to lose out on the odd guy who wants to wear his camo gi, you know, and, and like, who cares? Odd is right. Yeah. Right. Not many, I haven't seen that lately, but it could just be because they basically blend into the background. <laughs> <laughs> of course you haven't seen that. Like, the point is that it's, it's, a, it's a totally fallacious argument and yet people will stick by, well, yeah, that's, it's helping the guy stay in business. It is absolutely not helping the guy stay in business. Mm-hmm. If you run a school where people like you, if you run a school where you don't use these dominion tactics, they want you to stay in business. They're, like people come visit my club from all over the world. Like we've got the visiting student program, but even aside from that, you know, people will come through town They'll come in and they're like, hey, Rob, can I give you a drop-in fee? I'm like, nope. Like, All right, cool. Well, can I buy a, a rash guard? I'm like, I mean, if you want one, cool. But like, I'm not like, like people want to support you, right? Like if they well, like then they should business. go to bjjconcepts.net and then sign up for $20 a month. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There's yeah. your plug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you want to help us out, go get a subscription to, to BJJ Concepts. Do that. And, and But then you're not helping me out. You're getting something of value. Mm-hmm. And that should be what it's always about. So like if you already have training equipment, there's nothing of value in you buying additional training equipment from the club. So that's why I don't think that's a, a really valid thing. It's about Dominion. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so on the topic of Dominion, another hallmark of cults is that when someone does leave, 
they'll ostracize that person and they'll, they'll encourage all members to cut ties with that person. Um, or even if they don't explicitly say that, it's kind of implied that this person is no longer one of us and we need to not speak to them as much as we used to. Um, this is done for a variety. I'm looking of- forward to the day that Rory leaves my school and I don't have to talk to him ever again. I'm just surprised that you haven't kicked him out yet, honestly. <laughs> um, but the the thing about this particular tactic is it's, it's a fear tactic, right? The reason they're yeah. doing this is because they the cult has now... Now eliminated the rest of your social network and support. So, so they, they are your de facto. They are your de fa- They are your family at this point, and the thought of losing them is terrifying. And so the re- thought of being shamed is also terrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the message that they are sending in this case is, um, you know, we are going to ostracize all people who leave. And suddenly, what that's saying is, don't you dare leave. And some cults will go way above and beyond this and actually systematically harass former members or even assault them. Um, yeah, you know, the I talk- fair game policy. Scientology. Scientology is a perfect example. Also, that Chung Mu Kwan martial art I talked about, they were like known for like systematically harassing former members who left. This is a very, very common thing. And I I have seen it done in the jujitsu community as well, where, you know, when there's bad blood between schools and one person leaves, like it can get really, really, really gross. Um, This is something that we all need to be on the watch for um, because it it is, even if it's something that you feel strongly about, even if someone leaves and you're mad at them, well, that doesn't give you the right to discriminate against them or harass them or tell other people that you can or can't talk to that person, right? So, but this is a very, very common strategy that a lot of cults employ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Again, um, you'll see that in the, in the, like the shitty jujitsu clubs. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the other, the other last topic that we want to talk about is that a cult will almost always aggressively protect their reputation. Um, so for example, they will, um, they will very rigorously fight people who defame them, usually people who call them cults. <laughs> Scientology is famous for this. Like, uh, they will, they love to sue people who call them cults. In fact, um, they actually, I just saw on, on Reddit the other day, like they were classified as like a vector vexatious litigator or something because they put forth so many lawsuits against people who are against them that they they basically like jam up the legal system just to waste everyone's time and frustrate people who speak against them. Um, It is very, very common for cults to do that. And also cults will often encourage or require their members to protect and support the brand. Um, So like the relevant example here is protecting the red shield, right? That is (laughs) not a reasonable request to make of your members and your students. sounds communist. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that that should be the immediate red flag, right? Like, can you imagine if you went to gold's gym and they made you sit down during the onboarding and like they had this big deck and they were like so you are required now to protect the gold seal or whatever it's like if someone ever speaks shit about gold's gym you need to beat them up or whatever like no to be fair and like i don't want to be like defending the defend the red shield thing is something that goes out to owners that's not something that you get as somebody who signs up as a student at Gracie Bob. Yeah, but what are the owners then going to do, right? Like this is no, no, of problem. course, of course. I'm just, I'm just, I just wanted, to be, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to be factual, right? Like I yeah. because obviously the first thing that we're going to get after this is people defending the cult yeah. they're in, and the, the more factual we yeah. are about it, the better. And and to be clear, like I I don't think. Gracie Baja or any of the Gracie schools are cults, although I do think they do definitely employ some of these tactics. We're we're drawing a distinction here between actual cults. And again, we'll talk a little bit more uh, a little bit later on about like this this continuum. The Uh, cult spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. But but the idea is that these are are cult tactics that we're trying to identify so that people are less likely to fall prey to them. Not that necessarily any... So like, you know, I'm friends with people who run Gracie Bajas. They're great people Mm -hmm. and they have great schools. Mm-hmm. The head 
office uses cult tactics in how they organize and mm-hmm. recruit. That's, yeah. that's what we're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So just to recap, uh, we talked about eight different ways that cults recruit. Number one, they will establish an initial act of dominion over the new cult members. Number two, they ask you to pay reverence to a mysterious mystical figure. Number three, they claim to possess secret knowledge that only they have, which is usually the easy path compared to what the real world requires of you. Number four, they attempt to separate you from the rest of your support network and society. Number five, there is a hierarchy where questioning authority is prohibited and punished. Number six, they ask you to make escalating requirements of personal contribution, both in terms of money and sometimes time. Number seven, they ostracize former members. And number eight, they aggressively protect the cult's reputation. So... I think that's a pretty comprehensive topic, and I I think that we actually still have a lot more to say. So, Rob, you want to do this again on the next episode? Let's get into it. Awesome. Okay. I will insert an artificial break here. Artificial break. I have to pee. 